Hello and welcome to Random Interesting Facts. The podcast about everything and nothing. With your host, 42. This week's topic is lightning. So let's dive right in with fact number one. Lightning can create heat that is hotter than the sun. How hot can lightning possibly be, I hear you ask? The answer, my dear friends, is shitting hot. It's difficult to gauge the precise temperature of lightning. Apparently, no scientists are willing to stand in a field holding a thermometer up to the sky. Shocking, eh? Get it? But one strike of lightning can create heat upwards of 27,760 degrees Celsius. To put that into perspective, the surface of the sun, you know, that massive ball of fiery plasma in the sky, is only around 5,600 degrees Celsius. I say only, that's still pretty damn hot. But that means lightning is over five times hotter. So if you're looking to go somewhere warm for your holiday this year, perhaps take a trip to Lake Maracaibo in Venezuela, Earth's lightning capital, with around 160 enormous thunderstorms every year, each yielding an average of 28 lightning strikes per minute. As all the cool kids say, it's lit. Ironically, the scorching heat of this natural phenomenon is the result of something really cool. No, literally, it's really cool. Ice. You see, when water vapour inside clouds freeze to form ice, it creates millions of tiny droplets of the stuff that buzz around inside the cloud. Now, clouds may look tranquil, but there's actually a full-on ice disco going on inside each one. Every time two of these ice particles collide inside the cloud, it creates a small static charge. And when this happens millions of times in a short space of time, it generates quite a build-up of electricity. But it also creates a differential in charge between itself and the ground and even other clouds. The cloud could be negatively charged and the ground positive or vice versa. As a result, the electrostatic discharge bounces from the cloud to the ground, i.e. lightning, or it can jump from the ground up to the cloud, or it can even strike from cloud to cloud or ripple through the same cloud in what's known as sheet lightning. The pressure is then temporarily equalized by the release of these lightning strikes. So there you have it, zappy sky electricity helps to restore the balance of nature. By blowing it up first, of course. Air, as it turns out, is a terrible thermal conductor. Conductors being materials that can support a high throughput of thermal energy, such as metal and stone. And then there are bad conductors such as wood and air. 
which are so shit at conducting, they're actually called insulators, and they can overheat very easily, which is why the wooden pizza oven didn't quite catch on, although it did catch fire. The reason why lightning causes such tremendous heat is due to the resistance against the electrical current as it passes through the air. The air, unable to properly conduct all the thermal energy, heats up incredibly quickly, and with nowhere for all that heat energy to go, it forms those infamous white hot zigzags that we know as lightning bolts. Now, if water helps to cool down reactions, what happens if lightning strikes the sea? Does all the water vaporize and the cast of Finding Nemo get spontaneously barbecued? Interestingly, lightning doesn't actually strike the sea as much as land, but when it does, it can spread across the surface at lightning speed. See what I did there? The salt level of the water can also make a difference. Salt water increases conductivity and causes a wider spread of the electrical current. Fish near the surface of these strikes run the risk of being electrocuted. Sorry, Nemo. Which does make fishing a whole lot easier, if you don't mind your halibut slightly charred. Generally, the average strike will disperse across 20 feet of water. So if you happen to be paddling in the wide open ocean, when a lightning storm hits, the chance of you being hit is practically zero. In fact, you're more likely to damage your hearing or eyesight. A single lightning strike can register at over 200 decibels. That's 20 decibels higher than the sound of a rocket launch. 150 decibels is loud enough to burst your eardrums. So if you're unlucky enough to have this happen to you, safe to say you'll be as fried as the fish. Next up, moment from history. Where each episode we take a look back at one particularly odd moment from the past. This week we explore whether America has actually already had its first female president. Back in 2016, all eyes were on the US election to see if, for the first time in history, a woman would be elected Madam President of the United States. Of course, we all know what happens next. Donald Trump took the win, and the title of the first female president would have to wait. Or would it? You see, many historians believe that the first female president of the United States has actually already come and gone, and was in fact Edith Wilson. Who's Edith Wilson, you might ask? She was the wife of the 28th president, Woodrow Wilson. Duh. Now, I know what you're thinking, being president of the United States and leader of the free world is quite a big deal. So how the hell was there ever any ambiguity over it? Well, to get to the bottom of this matter, we need to travel back over 100 years ago. It was 1919, 
and the cleanup of World War I was underway. Apparently, the fallout of war can get a little messy, and with most people at the time eager to not have a repeat of all the bloodshed, it was in everyone's best interest to try and come up with a way of never having a world war ever again. That worked out well, didn't it? But it's the thought that counts. The League of Nations was born, and it was the first worldwide intergovernmental organization whose principal mission was to maintain world peace. By first talking their country's problems out, and, if that fails, forcing all League members to go up against any rebellious members. I mean, it was a nice try at least. President Woodrow Wilson was instrumental in its creation, even winning a Nobel Peace Prize for it. But there was just one tiny problem. Americans, specifically Senate Republicans, not happy with the notion that foreign countries could drag the US into another war, Republicans weren't convinced by the League of Nations. Instead of trying to convince the Senate, Woodrow Wilson decided to take another route to win over the Republicans, the American public. Surely, if he could convince the everyday American it was a good idea to join the League of Nations, then there would be no cause for opposition. Well, that seemed plausible, of course. Seemed very plausible. Ha! <laughs> I'm joking, of course. When has a government ever changed its mind due to public opinion? Anyway, after returning from Paris where the discussions were held, Wilson went on tour around the United States, promoting the advantages of joining such an organisation. I hear you saying I thought all this was about the first female president, not Woodrow Wilson. What the heck is all this? Well, patience, it was during this American tour that something life-threatening happened to President Woodrow Wilson, which, weirdly, paved the way to the first secret female president. See, good things come to those who wait. In September 1919, Wilson became severely unwell whilst travelling throughout the US, experiencing nausea and extreme facial twitching. My, that's a symptom. He tried to persevere, but his headaches became so painful he had to return home. When? In October the same year, he had a near-fatal stroke. Edith Wilson, his wife, was the one who found him on the bathroom floor, paralysed and on death's door. It was in this moment that Edith, filled with terror and shock, made a decision which would affect the next 17 months. Secrecy. With an alarmingly calm mind, Edith went to ring for the doctor, but instead of using their bedroom phone, a mere few steps away, Edith left the bathroom, her husband, and indeed her bedroom. She ran down the hall and used a special phone which wasn't listened in on by switchboard operators. She was very keen to keep the condition of the president a secret. When the president's chief physician arrived, he is reported to have said, My God, the president is dead! which I imagine is really the last thing you want to hear without at least a quick examination. And sure enough, when the doctor finally realised he probably shouldn't be making such sweeping statements without first taking his pulse at least, it turns out Woodrow was indeed alive, but only just. You know, it's a good job we have medical diagnosis 
Otherwise, the world would just be full of people walking into rooms of people sleeping and exclaiming, My God, he's dead. The stroke had rendered Woodrow bedridden. Paralyzed on his left side, unable to speak, blind in his left eye and partially blind in his right. It was safe to say he wasn't in a fit state to run the country. The problem was, the law wasn't exactly clear on what to do in a situation like this. The 25th Amendment, which enables the Vice President to take over duties of the President with the majority vote of Cabinet, wouldn't be added until the 1960s. All they had in 1919 was Article 2, Section 1, Clause 6 of the Constitution. This stated that, in case of the removal of the President from office or of his death, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers and duties of the said office, the same shall devolve on the Vice President. It didn't, however, state he would make the decision regarding the President's inability to rule, and until that decision was made, power couldn't be offloaded to the Vice President. So, with no clear answer, it was decided that the President himself should be responsible for the decision on whether he was fit to run the country. You really can't make this stuff up. Wilson refused to step down. Now, whether that was due to him being unable to actually speak is unclear, but the decision was made. The bedridden, paralysed President of the United States would stay in power. Obviously, the state of the President couldn't become known, and only his inner circle were aware of the true extent of his illness and disability. Edith Wilson, his wife, took on his duties. But there is ongoing speculation about how much control she had over the entire United States during this period. During his illness, Edith controlled access to the president, even from his own cabinet members. Although she claimed to have made no decisions and called her role a stewardship, she often took it upon herself to decide which information should be relayed to her husband, if any at all. Which sounds a lot like she was wearing the presidential pants to me. During her time as secret Madame President, she pushed for the removal of Secretary of State, Robert Lansing, and also refused to allow the British Ambassador, Edward Grey, an opportunity to present his credentials to Woodrow, unless he dismissed an aide of his. What did this aide do to deserve such hostility? She just made some demeaning comments about Edith, which Edith obviously couldn't look past. God knows how many hair-pulling bitch fights took place in the White House during that time. I don't think about it. After 17 long months, Woodrow Wilson obviously quite enjoyed laying in bed all day, letting his wife make all the decisions as he unbelievably wanted to run for a third term. But his inner circle thought otherwise, and Edith enacted her final decision as secret Madam President, not letting her husband run again. Now, we'll take a short break, and we'll soon be back with fact number two. Fact number two. 
Acorns protect you from lightning. Sort of. Now, I know what you're thinking. How on earth can a puny acorn protect me from being turned into human toast? Well, when we break it down, the answer is remarkably obvious. You see, oak trees, the custodians of acorns, are the tree statistically most likely to be struck by lightning. I told you it was bleeding obvious. How on earth didn't you get that? This is because of their height, as oak trees, at least in Britain, tend to be taller than the average tree, towering up to 45 meters. Oh sure, pick on the tall trees, as if they haven't got enough worries without getting chopped down and made into post-it notes. Trees actually make ideal lightning targets. They're tall, full of watery sap that conducts electricity, and they're permanently grounded. When struck, the sap within the tree instantly evaporates and turns to steam, sometimes expanding with such force that it makes the bark explode from the trunk. Most trees do survive if the damage isn't too severe, and some can even withstand being struck multiple times. But if your local oak has drawn the short straw and suffered a lightning strike, which you'll know because it usually leaves a scar that looks like a giant's tear down the bark. There are some simple steps you can take to help the poor fella recover. When a tree is struck by lightning, it gets stressed. Yes, seriously, just like us humans, trees get stressed. To be fair, if you got hit by lightning, it's fair to say you'd be slightly riled up too. A stressed tree is more vulnerable to infection, and sometimes a tree that survives a lightning strike can actually die in the following weeks and months from lasting complications and or infection. So if you find such a tree, a stress ball won't help it, because a tree doesn't have hands, silly. But you should give it plenty of water. A tree takes in most of its nutrients from the water sucked up from the soil. And if the soil is dry, it might have difficulty doing so, and hence not get the nutrients it needs to heal. You should also give it fertilizer to ensure the nutrients it needs are actually present in the soil. Finally, you should prune any broken branches as these will only get in the way and impede the recovery process. If your damaged, stressed out tree makes it until spring and starts to grow new leaves, then it's highly likely it'll make a full recovery and live out the rest of its days in good health, albeit scared shitless every time a stormy looking cloud forms above it. Anyway, I might have been channeling my inner gardener for a minute there and gotten slightly off topic. Didn't we start out talking about acorns? Oh yes, yeah, so how does an acorn actually protect you from lightning? Well, truth be told, it doesn't. Apart from the roundabout way which I mentioned at the beginning that oak trees are more likely to take the brunt of lightning strikes than you. But for thousands of years it was strongly believed that acorns could in fact directly protect you from lightning. You see, the Greeks and Romans believed that oaks were the sacred tree of Thor, the god of thunder. 
and since acorns are the seeds of oak trees, they naturally became synonymous with four, and, as an extension, protection from lightning. It was thought that by placing oak branches and acorns on windowsills, it would protect a home and its inhabitants from lightning, a superstition still widely believed today. In fact, when drawable blinds were popularized in the 1800s, the bobbin at the end of the pull cord of the blinds was shaped like an acorn. The Cumming Museum in Southwark, London is home to several of these acorn-related curiosities, including umbrella tassels with carved wooden acorns, perfume bottles, and jewellery. So the next time you happen to find an acorn out and about, maybe you should hang on to it. You never know when it might come in handy in a thunderstorm. I mean, it probably won't, but if that belief helps you to sleep sounder at night, then... You believe whatever the hell you want to. Fact number three. Lightning disproportionately kills more men than women. All right, which one of you pissed off the lightning goddess? Believe it or not, this statistic comes from the US National Weather Service that found between 2006 and 2013, 81% of all fatal lightning strike victims were male. This directly correlates to when you're most likely to be struck. In the summer months of June, July, and August. 70% of all lightning-related deaths occur in the summer, with Saturday and Sunday being the days of the week you're most likely to be killed by lightning. In 66% of cases, the victims of this random extreme bad luck were enjoying a spot of leisure activity particularly those most commonly done by men, such as fishing and outdoor sports. There are approximately 49 lightning-related fatalities every year in the US alone, with 10 times as many people being struck but surviving with injuries that vary from mild to severe and life-altering. Unfortunately, when I say life-altering, I mean in a bad way not in a superhuman can electrocute people kind of way. Fishermen in particular are disproportionately affected by the fear of being zapped, so much so that some have adopted specific rules to protect them from this sky menace. Since lightning strikes can happen 10 miles from their source cloud, some fishermen operate the 30-30 rule. Once you've spotted lightning, if you count to 30 before hearing the familiar rumble of thunder, the odds are that you're out of the path of getting immediately flambéed. Still, it's not foolproof because thunderstorms can move at up to 50 miles per hour, so if you ever find yourself at risk, you should probably just get the hell out of there, just to be on the safe side. As well as targeting men, lightning disproportionately affects the poor. Who knew lightning could be such a Scrooge? An estimated 24,000 people around the world die each year from the Thunderbolt's wrath, most of whom live in rural places or poorer areas. In the US, lightning deaths represent around 0.3 per million. But this statistic is drastically higher in developing countries. In Zimbabwe and Malawi, 
both landlocked countries in southern Africa, this figure jumps to anywhere between 20 to 84 per million. In India, 2,000 people die each year from lightning strikes. And the reason is down to, of all things, indoor plumbing. As well as having a population four times greater than the US, India is one of the world's poorest countries. Most of its citizens are farmers, who have to work outdoors in hot and humid conditions, aka the ideal place for thunderstorms to brew. In addition to that, virtually all homes in the US have electricity and indoor plumbing, a feature that, if a house is struck by lightning, helps to ground the electrical charge, channeling the electricity through the walls of the house and into the ground, hence protecting its inhabitants. In contrast, a vast amount of people in India live in homes without metal pipes or any indoor plumbing, so the electrical shock isn't always redirected away from the inhabitants. Also, if a strike hits a thin corrugated iron roof, common in India, the electricity can jump to the nearest available conductor, which is often, unfortunately, a human. But after all this scaremongering, don't worry too much about being spontaneously barbecued, because direct strikes by lightning are extraordinarily rare, about 1 in 500,000 in fact. Plus, if you are hit, your body's natural conductivity cuts off a lot of the current before it can do too much damage. You might just be left with a funny hairdo. There are even some people who've reportedly been struck several times by lightning and brushed it off as a mere flesh wound. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Riff. I really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, then please rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a future episode. And if you have your own random interesting fact that you're just dying to share with me, then tweet it at me using the hashtag RiffPodcast. That's hashtag RIFPodcast. Each week I'll choose my favourite fan-submitted fact and shout it out at the end of the episode. Thank you.